the sermon series, that's what we're going to get into now, the sermon series um, for this whole semester is called um, That's What He Said, um, and we're looking uh, about what Jesus said about himself in the gospel account. So not what everybody else says about Jesus, but what, according to the record that we have, what are the things that Jesus said about um, himself? And so far, we've looked at Jesus claiming, this is not other people saying it, but Jesus himself saying that no one comes to the Father except through him. No one. And Jesus also said, in case you thought he was um, just a a great teacher or something like this in history, Jesus also self-identified as the high king of Israel that was sent by God for the salvation of mankind. He called himself the Christ or the Messiah. Jesus identified himself that way. These are things we've talked about so far. Um, Tonight we're going to be looking at um, what I'm going to call the great fact of history, the fact through which I believe all others are now interpreted. And though I think the implications of this fact are varied, and every single author of the New Testament focuses on different interpretations of it, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the single historical fact that birthed Christianity and gave hope to the world. It wasn't his teachings, it wasn't his miracles, it wasn't how compelling he was or how good-looking he was, which he wasn't good-looking, apparently, according to the Scriptures. It wasn't any of that. It was the fact that he rose from the dead. This is the single greatest fact in the history of the world. That's what we're talking about tonight. And as we go through it, um, I was telling some friends uh, just before this um, that I feel a little bit like I'm taking y'all on on a tour of my house and like opening the door and letting you peek in for a second at the different rooms, but not letting you really go inside because I want to make sure we get through the whole house. That's sort of what I feel like is going to happen tonight as I talk about the resurrection, because I want to talk about the implications of it and and different perceptions of it in the scriptures. Um, And I'm going to touch on a lot of things that I'm it would just be like 19 hours um, if I went on all of those tangents and I could do it. Um, so I'm really going to try not to um, and, and stay there. But anyway, I just want you to know that's coming. You'll see what I mean. Um, um, will you pray with me and then um, let me get into this. Uh, Father, um, I ask for your anointing over the words that I'm going to say. Would I, um, please, would you let me be faithful to your scriptures? Would you let me be honoring and glorifying to your son, Jesus? May he be presented by your spirit before our minds and hearts. I ask that you would help people in this room believe in the most crazy, nonsensical, inside-out, upside-down thing that we have ever heard of, that a man was God and we killed him and that he rose from the dead. Help us believe. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What is the gospel? I want you to think about this question. Okay, what is the gospel? Christians talk about this all the time. Right now in your mind, I want you to just think about things you've heard. What is it? How would you define it? It literally means good news. That's what gospel means. It just means good news. This is the good news of the kingdom of God sort of thing. And the Greek word is pronounced gospel, basically. Gospel. What is the good news? Have you ever heard it defined? It's a word that gets thrown around a ton. If you've been around Christians, you probably have heard of it. We even talk about the Gospels, which just refer to the first four books of the New Testament because those are the ones that specifically tell about the history of Jesus himself, not all the things that followed because of his life and works. Okay, so the Gospels are sort of the good news books. That's really what everything is founded upon and centered. Well, what is it? Have you ever heard it defined? The Apostle Paul um, provides the only really, you might be surprised to know this, but provides the only really succinct summary of the Gospel in the entire Bible. It's rarely ever defined exactly like in a couple of sentences, but Paul um, 
kind of goes about this in 1 Corinthians 15, what we call 1 Corinthians 15. Would you put that up uh, for me, Daniel? Um, I don't know if you can read it. I'm going to read this um, out loud. Um, Now I would remind you, brothers, brothers and sisters, whatever, of the gospel that I preached to you. I'm going to remind you of the gospel, the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The thing you stand on, the thing you received, the thing that, that you are being saved by, this is it. This is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, uh, Peter, that's Peter, um, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. He's appealing to the people he's writing to, to the people in Corinth. You, you know, brothers. Most of you have, uh, that are, st- are still alive who saw him raised from the dead. You know what I'm talking about. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And now I'm going to skip ahead a couple of verses. He talks about himself a bit. Sorry, Paul. Um, to verse 17. Um, and he says this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Am I with you guys up here? Okay, good. Somebody nodded their head. Thank you. Then those who have fallen asleep, if Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who've died, if Christ hasn't been raised, those who died are just dead. If in Christ, and this line is huge, and listen to this, let it sink in. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, which means he's just the beginning. He's just the first. There are others. For as by a, this is his sort of summary of this, a gospel thing. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is remarkable. You should read it. Um, This is the gospel. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and then raised and brought resurrection for us. I don't know what you have heard, but in my time following Jesus, I have often heard that Christ has died for our sins. I have heard that a ton. That he's been crucified for me and for this. And and thank God for that, right? Like if, if, if he is not died for my sins, then I am still dead in my sins, but because of Christ, to the glory of God, I have forgiveness of sins and can stand boldly before God. That is crazy. (laughs) That is absolutely crazy. That's mind-blowing that somebody would talk that way. But it's only part of the good news. And that, I think, is the problem, that so often that's all I hear, that Christ died for my sins. I need to hear that. I and that's an understatement. I'm, I, that's an understatement. I need to hear that. But I hear little about the resurrection of the Holy Spirit in our culture. I hear about Christ's death and our sins, and I am told, or I assume, that that's what the gospel is, that Christ died for our sins. That's the gospel, right? You could actually read it on a lot of tracks that get passed out. I know it was a thing in the past. They still happen. They probably happen. I don't know. My college campus, they did. Uh, but, it, but, but that's not the gospel. It, just that. And, and if that is all that the gospel is, then it isn't actually good news. If, if all you ever hear is that Christ died for your sins, it isn't good news. For many of you, you should be nervous right now. If that's all you've heard. Why is that not good news? First of all, because we're all going to die. Um, and I know that talking about death is not very popular, so I'll make this quick. Um, <clears throat> but it is 100% certain. 
for every single one of us. It is absolutely 100% inevitable. My father, um, when he turned 50, um, I called him to say happy birthday and he said, man, I'm so excited to go through my quarter life crisis. Um, and I was like, dad, you're 50. And he's like, I know. I was like, all right. <laughs> um, and he, he really likes to believe that somehow he's gonna live 250 to 200 years old. Even if he somehow does it, um, he'll die still. We are, every single one of us is going to die. And Christ dying for our sins and through some sort of strange math making us able to stand before God, um, that doesn't stop us from still dying. I can be forgiven, I am. I actually believe, right now, I am forgiven. I'm going to die one day. And if we're honest, that's not really good news, it's terrible. And the only people that think that isn't really terrible news are, are saying that because they think that life is more terrible. But that doesn't actually make death good news. It's just a bunch of really bad things that we're comparing to each other. Death is a fact of existence that points to the, the brokenness and the problem with this world. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, calls death, this is a really good thing to know, he calls death the last enemy that must be defeated. After Christ's resurrection, still, it is the last enemy that must be defeated, and it will be defeated. Death is an enemy. And how good is the news if the enemy wins? How good is any news if the enemy wins? Secondly, the other reason it's not good news, this incomplete version of the gospel leaves me very little understanding of how I'm supposed to live my life. I don't know what y'all have heard if you've grown up in churches about the gospel, but I want to ask you, how confident do you feel about how you're supposed to live your life in Christ? Do you know what it means to, 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 to um, walk in Christ, to live in Christ, to follow the call that he's given you, to, to live into the good works that he's laid before you or something like this? I want you to check out a really sophisticated chart that I made. I don't know if you can read it. You put that little circle thing up. Here we go. This is really, this is as, uh, this is what my faith sort of looks like when I have this version of the gospel. Um, uh, and I'll explain this. Um, <clears throat> let me see if there's anything. Okay. Uh, something like this is what, if you're interested in, this is a really great phrase to look up on Google and just dig around in this. Dallas Willard calls something like this, this is my own little chart, but this sort of idea I'm talking about, he calls it the gospel of sin management. The gospel of sin management. So here's, when I believe that Christ died for my sins and that's the only thing I know about the gospel, this is what my life often looks like. I sin. I do, you do, we all do. We sin, okay? I sin and I know what to do. Christ died for my sins. I know what I'm supposed to do. I need to confess my sin. In light of Christ and the life that he lived and what I know about real life and truth and goodness, I, I see that I don't do that and, and I confess my sin. And then I repent, which just means turn. I repent. It's not just about confessing. He doesn't say confess for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. I actually need to turn. I need to change my life. I need to do something different now based on a new understanding of the kingdom of heaven, of Jesus. So I, I, I sin, I confess it, I repent it, and then I just hold on tight. And this is the part that I hate because I don't really know what else I'm supposed to do. Not sin more. 
Okay, and I hope that I meant it last time, and I was really, really sorry, really, really, really sorry, really, 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 really sorry, and, and, I, and I'm trying to do something different now, and, and, and I identify with Paul in Romans 7 saying, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do, and, and this war goes on within me, but like, I'm just going to hold on and hope that, that I don't sin again, but to be honest between you and me, that's my least favorite part of this whole process, because I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with any of it. <laughs> Just hold on, I guess, and hope God comes back sometime, I, I guess, and that, that, that it counted. And then I sin, and, and I, I don't like sinning, at least after the fact, I don't like sinning, and, um, and increasingly before the fact. Um, but then I, all of a sudden I go, cool, I now know what to do again. <laughs> I can, now I can confess and repent and move through this process again. This is what Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management. And for many of us, if all we've ever heard is that Christ died for our sins, that's what we know to do in life is manage sins according to that. And hope, in that model, hope really just means don't sin anymore. That's as far as hope goes. And work in that mo- and, and, and hope that God does love me, I guess, in that. And, and work looks like not sinning. But how hopeful is that really? Is that really, really great news? That's what the gospel looks like if all we know is Jesus' death on the cross. And we know some amazing things, okay, from that alone. We know the humility of God. The humility of God. I mean, that is just absurd. His goodness, his love, some idea of our worth and the fact that we have forgiveness. Even just those things is too much. Those are, it's way too much for me to demand of God or for me to even expect in life. How dare I say that's not enough, right? Unless, of course, Jesus says there's more. And he does, and praise God for that. Because if the gospel is also, not just this, but if the gospel also entails the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the promise of our resurrection in the future, I think that changes everything. I put it this way um, earlier today, that a truncated gospel is not the gospel. The good news is not good news without resurrection and power from on high. And this isn't just me standing up here making this claim because I'm frustrated with our culture or something. This is, I don't stand alone in this. You might think that the entire life and work of Jesus up to the point of his death, okay, all of the stories you've heard about Christ's life, all the miracles he did, all the things he taught, okay, all of the life and work of him up to the point of his death on the cross should be enough to give you confidence to follow him. But it didn't inspire the disciples to start the church or go tell the world about Jesus. And they were right next to him for almost three years. And all of the things he taught and all of the work that he did and and what they saw on the cross, that wasn't enough to make them go out and say, let me tell you about Jesus. They denied him. That's what they did. After all of the work and all of the teachings and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, they went, nope, not Jesus. And they went into hiding. And most of them, seems like, went, from what we understand, went back to the lives that they had before they even met him. But some of us think that we're supposed to be excited about all that and go out and tell the world about Christ. With that being the full picture. And I think that makes sense that they would have done this, right? I mean, if you think about it, this is the Messiah, We talked last week about Jesus claiming to be this high king. 
this roaring lion, this, this king from God, whom the whole world was waiting for, they saw him die. This is the Messiah. Jesus, come on, let's do your, and he dies. He must not be the king. Israel was still under another king when he died. How can that be the high king if that happens? Sin still existed in the world. When Jesus died, poverty was still existent. People were still being abused sexually. Cancer was real. How could he be the king? He died. And all of that stuff is still left undone. His promises about the temple, if you've read about this in the Old Testament, over and over again, he makes these promises about the temple. It didn't look any better. How can he be the king? He must not be the one. And so with tails tucked between their legs, and I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? For three, three years ago today, you saw somebody and you decided you were going to leave everything you had and follow them. Follow this man. For most of you, you change your actual names because of him. You learn a new way of life. And you don't just think of him as a celebrity or somebody really cool because he's got a new workout scheme or something. Like this is the high king of, you believe God sent him to be the savior of the world for three years. And then he's killed. And and actually, you're so excited up to this one point where he has this dinner and it's kind of crazy, like washes your feet, which is super awkward because he's like this guy you're really looking up to and stuff like that. Um, And then right at the end of this dinner, which is pretty cool, he goes, I'm I'm about to go somewhere and you can't follow. And and you all freak out and within 24 hours, he's dead. After three years, names changed, lives changed, everything. It would wreck you like it wrecked them. It would wreck me like it wrecked them. And so they deny him. And they hide and they go back to their old lives. And the gospel accounts in all of their unashamed honesty record this. I want you guys to listen to this account of Luke because this is called, that's what he said. Um, and, and so we've got to talk about where Jesus actually makes some claims about himself in these passages. In this account of Luke, I want you to listen to the doubt and the unbelief because this is really, really important. Nobody in the Bible was expecting Jesus to raise from the dead. Nobody. It wasn't like, there was a stream of Jewish thought that was expecting resurrection, but there was never the idea that one would resurrect and then many later. There was a a stream way late in Jewish thought that there was this resurrection some people believed in, but that was only one stream of Jewish thought. The disciples, his closest friends for three years, look at what's gonna happen in Luke here. He has to remind them of what he said because they denied him and they hid and they went back to their old life and they didn't expect it. Look at this. This is not normal. This is crazy. And everybody in the Bible goes, the resurrection is crazy. Let's look at this. Can we go to that Luke passage? As they were talking about these things, and so this is right after um, the gospel accounts, Luke records that Jesus rose from the tomb. Um, He encountered um, some women who came to the tomb first and Peter briefly, who ran a lot slower than the girls. Um, Like they beat him to the tomb. They actually ran past him to the tomb, which is awesome. and, uh, and, and Jesus also sort of talks to these two guys on a seven-mile trip, um, and then they all get together um, with the disciples. With, uh, with, it says the 11 in this passage, but John tells us it's actually just 10. Um, Thomas is missing from this scene. Um, but they get together to talk about these things, these rumors that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what they're coming together about. What, Jesus rose from the dead, what? And then when they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. Boo. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. 
And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, that's sort of an awkward phrasing. That's what it actually says in Greek. But what it, what it means is they were, it was so unbelievably exciting even though they couldn't possibly fathom it. They wanted this so bad, right? It would be like me getting you the one present you thought nobody would ever, this is not even close to the same, but eh, you'll see what I mean. Uh, like the one present that you never thought anybody would get you and for a minute you would say, no, 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 really for me? That's what this means, that they disbelieved for joy. Because it was, this is, I mean, think of all of what they had done for Jesus and, and he's back for a minute. And they think he's a spirit, right? But they said disbelieve for joy and were marveling. He said to them, this is like one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible, have you anything here to eat? Can you imagine like this scene? I mean, for some of you, you might not believe it's real. And I actually think some of the power of this will miss you if you keep reading it like it's, a, like it's a, uh, something from the Chronicles of Narnia or some fairy tale. That Christians believe this actually happened, that they were sitting around, a dude rose from the dead and showed up. And they're going, whoa, 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 whoa. you see what I'm seeing? Like, what? Like this... This has got to be a spirit. Are we all hallucinating here? And as they're talking about it, and Jesus is trying to show them the hands and feet, I just sort of, I think it's fascinating. It's me reading into it. Like he's not arguing with them or saying, here, let me tell you more about this. Let me prove something more. He's like, I'm just going to show them. Look, I'm hungry, guys. Give me some food. And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish uh, and he took it and ate before them. We go to the next slide. Is it and then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and this is even more of stuff that Jesus said about himself. Think of the, the audaciousness, like the claims in these things that Jesus is recorded as of saying. That Jesus is arguing that the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms were all about him. I don't know what you think Jesus thought of himself, but that's what he thought of himself. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ, who he identified himself as, so that Jesus, that me, that the Christ, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in, in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Why do doubts arise in your heart? Like, are you kidding? That's what he says. Because he was dead. That's why. Like, he, we saw him, the Romans were really good at killing people on a cross, you guys. Like, really good. Like, actually, somebody, John records that they actually went to check because they didn't want to kill somebody during the actual Passover. So, like, the minute that the Passover started, they were going by to hit his, his, his knees with a hammer to knock him out so he would suffocate and actually finally die. Um, and the guard actually sees that he's dead. And another one records that they stabbed him in the side with a spear and blood and water flew out of the side of him. Jesus was like dead. Why are you guys troubled? Why are you so surprised? Because we saw you die. That's why. Who wouldn't doubt it? Well, Luke says they thought it was a spirit, and I, I mean, hands down, every single one of us, if I told you guys really convincingly that yesterday I saw something that I swear was a ghost, even the most ardent skeptic in the room would have an easier time believing that than if I told you I saw my grandfather rose from the dead. Everybody would. I mean, it's, it's way easy. That's a really hard stretch anyway. But they, they're like, it's got to be, a, this is crazy, but it's got to be a spirit. 
John reports, I said that Thomas wasn't there, and I want you guys to see what Thomas says, because I think this is awesome. Um, it's in John chapter 20. Um, and when the disciples, who, this is like eight days later, the disciples have been telling him about this. Um, when Jesus shows up eight days later, but before, when they told Thomas, um, he said this. Um, so the other disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the hands and uh, unless I see the, in his hands the mark of nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I don't know what you expect Jesus to do, but he doesn't criticize Thomas for doubting. He moves toward him. First thing he says to Thomas when he shows up is he says, Thomas, touch me. It's the very first thing Jesus said to him. I identify with Thomas a lot. Um, And I suspect that if y'all for just a moment thought about the resurrection as being a fact of history, that you would be like him. Unless I see and touch, I will never believe. The resurrection is crazy. I was tempted tonight to provide you all with a series of of arguments about the historicity of the resurrection. (laughs) Um, But there are, uh, I I had to put this in the words of N.T. Wright, there are several reasons that people may not want and often refuse to believe this. And that is just true. Um, And so I'm not tonight going to try to convince you about the resurrection. Um, though there is, I think, a ton to say about it, and I would just geek out and love to have many conversations about that with anybody in this room if you want to, uh, face-to-face, on the phone, Skype, Facebook, doesn't matter. Uh, you're gonna get a lot of reading though, so, but I'll take reading too. Anyway, um, anyway, I don't wanna convince you of this stuff tonight. What I wanna try to do is simply argue that Jesus actually said that he rose from the dead. I don't know what you wanna do with Jesus, but he said he rose from the dead. Um, and that the resurrection, his resurrection from the dead is the certain fact in the space-time of history that all Christians in the early church believed in. They believed it actually happened to the point that at one time over 500 of them saw, that saw him after they knew for a fact he died. They believed he actually rose from the dead. And it is this fact upon which the entirety of Christianity stands. The, really, you have one task if you want to disprove Christianity. Prove Jesus didn't rise from the dead. It's simple as that. It's not cryptic. It's not hidden. It's out there. The, 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 the fact of Christianity is out there for the whole world to criticize, for the whole world to undermine. It's just out there for any of you. All of it rises and falls with Jesus' resurrection from the dead. His closest friends, the disciples, who all were directly responsible or secondarily responsible for everything you read in the New Testament, after, all of it, actually, all the Gospels too, everything. All of the recordings that we have were all from a bunch of dudes who gave up until three days after he died because he rose from the dead. The whole, all of Christianity rises and falls with the resurrection of Jesus. Christian, your faith is in the risen Christ, not in a dead teacher or a moral prophet. Your faith is founded upon a historical curveball of unimaginable proportions. There was a dude who was God more on that next week, and we killed him, and then he rose from the dead. That's a curveball. And I think in the resurrection, like, uh, like buried treasure, there's hope for mankind. It isn't in managing our sins or hoping that God won't be angry with us or something. It's worded like this in the Bible, and this is all packed in the resurrection of Christ. Opening doors, not going in rooms. 
It's worded like this, reigning forever and ever under the worship of God. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more death on a new earth in new bodies, face to face with the risen and glorified King. I'm going to read that again. Reigning forever and ever under the worship of God, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death on a new earth in new bodies, face to face with the risen and glorified King. If you're actually trying to believe that as I say it, it's too much. I think it's, as you, you could say it this way, that it's immeasurably more than any of us could ever ask for or imagine. That's one way of saying it. And I need to tell you, I um, used to struggle a lot with the idea of life after death, with afterlife. Um, I didn't struggle so much with dying, so much as what comes after it. Um, dying too, but the after part really bothered me when I first started following Jesus because um, the only people I know that get pumped up about a million years of singing songs are worship leaders. Um, and, and like this small group of people that go to a conference called the Passion Conference every year. Um, that's the, the only people I know that will like get really excited about a million years of worship songs. Um, and and I, I have nothing against that stuff for, for those of you in this room like that. I think you're great. That's just not my gig, you know? Like I, I, don't, I don't get excited about that. Um, but, uh, but I always felt, I don't know if you guys identify with this. I really did for years. I felt like I had... I had to, to like work so hard to like act like I, I liked that stuff or I felt like that was the work of God is that by the time I get there, he's gonna get me to like it, right? Like I don't like it now because I'm a sinner, but it may, that's, the, that's the real problem that someday I'm just gonna love this for millions of years. And like when God really does his final work in me, that's what's gonna be awesome is, is that sort of thing. And I honestly, like it, it drove me insane. Like, um, that we were gonna be like standing on a cloud singing songs forever in a blissful land of white and gold. Um, that that was the promise that God held out for me. Never mind the logical, philosophical, um, and logistical problems. Um, if we don't have bodies, where's the larynx that's going to make the sounds for me to sing? Um, why do I care about white and gold if I don't have eyes and retinas to receive color? Um, why is standing versus kneeling matter if I don't have legs and body? I could, all of that, I mean, I kid you not, that stuff drove me insane. Like I would like, do circles with all, and I would come up with lists of like all of the reasons why I can't do this. Um, but the reason why I kept coming up with these lists is because it wasn't exciting for me either. And in light of that, I want to step back and, and just hold that for a second. In light of that, I identify with Paul's claim to the Corinthians, which we read earlier. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. I resonated with that even as a Christian. If all that Christ offered was for this life and whatever's next is either not real or not exciting, then Christians ought to be pitied. Think about it. We are called Christians to suffer for others. If you follow Jesus, you are called to lay down your life, to give up your rights, to use your freedoms for others. It may sound really romantic to live forever that way, but I tell you, if you're called to lay down your life and it's never raised up, where's the hope in that? This is why I think the hope of the early church was in the resurrection of Jesus. Because in it is the promise of our own resurrection. Paul would even say so in such huge language to the Romans that the whole earth groans for its liberation and renewal as well. Resurrection to new life in Christ is the great hope, not a bunch of teaching principles, not the forgiveness of sins. 
necessary. I, I struggle with the idea of heaven because I was rarely taught about a biblical and historical understanding of it. We talked about Christ crucified, but not him risen. That's what we talked about. And so I focused on me crucified. I didn't hope for me risen. And I tried to find hope in the crucifixion. The resurrection without the crucifixion is not the gospel. The resurrection without the crucifixion is not the gospel. It's blasphemy. It's hubris. It's arrogance. It's pride. It's, it's crazy to think about the resurrection in the way we're talking about tonight without the gospel, without um, the crucifixion. But the gospel is not either the crucifixion without the resurrection. If you, in this room, if you have not yet looked upon Jesus and seen his wounds, his scars and his blood for you, then you should look there. You should find the man upon the cross who took all of the sins of the world upon his shoulders for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. But if you have looked there and you have found the meek and gentle Savior, which he is, and in him you have found forgiveness for your sins and you still struggle to have hope and confidence in Christ's work for your life. It may be because you've never lifted your eyes to see the Christ like a roaring lion rise from the grave. The God-man who conquered death and offers the same to you and I. He is leading us onward, but not to a disembodied cloud-like church service but to a new earth where we will live and work and play in new bodies. This we are promised because of Christ's resurrection and this is the hope of the church. This is the great fact of history. Will you put that last um, thing up real quick from the Nicene Creed? Great. Um, this is why those Christians 1,700 years ago who made the Nicene Creed, and if you don't know about this, it's the most widely accepted statement of the Christian faith in the history of the world. Catholics, Orthodox, Anglicans, and the overwhelming majority of all Protestant denominations all come together and say, we believe and we agree to the Nicene Creed. Originally penned in 325, later in 381, adapted because Christians got together and said, hey, as the, as the world is expanding, as Rome is beginning to fall apart, as we're, as we're distancing ourselves further and further from the apostles and their teaching, let's just make a statement of what we all believe are core tenets of what it means to be a Christian. If you struggle with denominational boundaries and, and factions and all that kind of stuff and you want a breath of fresh air, read the Nicene Creed. It's super short. It's like a paragraph. This is, what it, this is, a, this is a, a statement of faith for Christians. And this is how they ended the Nicene Creed. I look for the resurrection of the dead and life in the world to come. Is that what you look for? Or do you look for just not sinning anymore and for feeling okay today and for being a good Christian and for reading the Bible more and for praying more and meaning it sometimes and not getting so distracted when you do or church activity or whatever else is this thing? Like, do you look to that, look forward to that? And, and, and friends, I'm not telling you, you, you must look forward. You have, I'm telling you, this is what Jesus wanted us to look forward to. This is what the early Christians looked forward to. The resurrection of the dead and life in the world to come, amen. That's what they look forward to. And I submit to you that if you are struggling with a lot of confidence in your faith and stuff, it might be because you haven't lifted your eyes and looked to where Christ is leading. And let that shine a light backward onto what that means for our life today. 
This is the gospel, the good news. Christ died for our sins, was buried, is raised from the dead, and has conquered death for us all that we might be raised to life with him. He is risen indeed. Allow me one um, final word. Um, To those of us who have our hope in this, to those of us who have our hope in Christ, dead, buried, and risen, Thomas uh, refused to believe until he could see and touch the Lord. And what do we do with all of those who want the same thing? Christ's body on this earth, if you don't know, right now is the church. The fullness of him who fills all in all, as Paul would say. The fullness of him who fills all. There is a degree to which we shouldn't even discriminate between the church and Christ's physical body on this planet. The church is intended to be, by Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May it be true that the doubting hearts and minds of the world would, when they see and touch us, see and touch Jesus, and knowing that he is risen, cry out like Thomas did. When when he touched Jesus, the thing he said is he said, my Lord and my God. And I pray that would happen as people come into contact with the church as well. Let's pray. Father, um, I don't know what to say. It is wild what you have done and wild what you call us to believe, but where else would we put our hope? If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. It's empty, it's pointless. Thank you for doing more than forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for offering us life everlasting and new bodies on a new earth. I pray for everybody in this room that has never thought much about resurrection or has never been taught about what you have promised and what is riddled through the New Testament. About the new earth and looking forward to resurrection and looking forward to judgment even. I pray that your spirit would lead them um, in helpful relationships and places with good questions and good thoughts and that they would feel free to flex their muscles and their questions and doubts and that they would find hope and life and truth in your son Jesus. Thank you that you alone, you alone in all of history and that this this has been intended since the foundation of the world that you alone promise liberation from death and we still get physical bodies. That is crazy. And in that, with you, our hope is found. Would you be glorified as we talk about your son um, and this great fact in history that has changed everything? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.